How many here remember living um, in the Cold War? Let's see your hands if you, if you remember. I remember. I mean, I'm only 41, but I remember. I remember when the Soviet Union fell. But I remember prior to that, we would have drills and hide under our desks in school and all that fun stuff um, in case of nuclear war. And, and I, remember, I remember hearing people talk about, you know, I mean, every other week was going to be the end of the world. And, um, you know, it seemed like things were getting worse and worse. And then, um, I, I remember when 1990 rolled around and I thought, wow, we'd, we're never going to see... I didn't expect we'd ever see 1990. And then 2000 rolled around. Surely the end is going to be here before 2000, right? We'll never see 2000. Well, 2000 came. And so, here we are, 2022. And in the last couple of years, you know, we've, we've, um, those of you that have lived long enough to experience things like the Cold War and things that came before even that, I mean, we, we've got people in here that have lived through some things, right? And, but then in the last couple of years, wow, I mean, it's just as accelerated and things have been amplified and, and suddenly it's like, how can it get much worse? Well, all you have to do is read Revelations and realize, oh, it's going to get quite a bit worse before it's all said and done. But no matter how bad it gets, you and I still have a role to play and to walk in in this time and in this season. And we're not going to be able to do it alone. We're not going to be able to do it on our own. We most certainly need each other's help, but most importantly, we need God's help. We need the Holy Spirit to direct our steps, to guide our, our ways and our methods, if we intend at all to accomplish what God has put before us. And you know, you and I were born for such a time as this. And this is, I know it's a cliche thing to say, but, but listen to me. If you would have been born 400 years earlier, you would have been born for such a time as that. But you weren't born then. You were born now. For this time. For this season. And so, we are more than able to meet any kind of catastrophe, any kind of weirdness like COVID and everything that came with that. We are more than able to meet it head on because the greater one lives in us. All right? And he that lives in us is greater than he that's out there causing all this havoc and problems and all of that stuff. All right? We've been talking for several weeks, uh, a number of weeks. I guess, because it's been scattered. Um, we've had a number of sermons in between this series. But a series called Expect Miracles. And you can find it online and go back and listen to the ones that came before this. And so, if we are going to experience miracles and live a, a miraculous-filled life, that doesn't come by itself or by accident, I should say. That comes because the Spirit of God is present, has been asked for things, because people have prayed, because people are walking with Him and carry His presence with them. Right? Where you go, the presence of God is right there with you. You're the difference maker. Someone say, I'm a difference maker. If the Spirit of God lives in you, then you're a difference maker. Now, I don't know about you, but, but the way I was raised, okay, I grew up conservative Mennonite, and, and we loved the Lord. We... We serve the Lord. We, I, of course, have a different understanding of some things now than what I did then. But one of the things that 
we kind of had a blank spot in the church that I grew up in, the churches I was a part of, I was in Missouri, and um, was teachings on the Holy Spirit, right? Well, I knew about the Holy Spirit, and if, if you would have asked me, do you have the Holy Spirit, I would have said, well, yes. And if you would have said, well, why? I would have said, well, I was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, you know, it's a one-package deal. I, I have the Holy Spirit, and I did, okay? He, he directed me, He led me, He guided me, He guided those around me. And it wasn't until years later that I had a friend come to my house and say, I want to show you something. We were now living in Colorado and a part of a Mennonite church out there. And I had my, he was my cousin. He says, I, I found something in the Bible I think you're going to want to hear about. And what come? You know, tell me. And um, the Lord had already been ministering to me that he was going to have us um, leave the church that we were in and that he was going to have us do something else, but I didn't know what yet. And if, you're, if you like to plan things and not be taken by surprise, you prefer to know the whole story before you take the first step. Well, in this case, I was just told to take a step, and I didn't know exactly where it was leading. And, um, but the Lord knew, right? He was sending someone to me already. And so this friend of mine, he shows up, and uh, we sit down at my kitchen table, <clears throat> and he takes me to Mark 16. Now, I've read this a number of times to you during this series um, in Mark 16 where Jesus said, these signs will follow them that believe. Not talking to the disciples, talking about people that were going to believe. And he says, these signs are going to follow them that believe. In my name, they'll cast out devils. They'll speak in new tongues. They can pick up snakes and they're not going to be hurt. They could drink something deadly and they're not going to be hurt. They're going to lay hands on the sick and they will get well. And he says to me, he says, do you know of anyone who's doing that? I'm like, no. I mean, I'd heard some wild preacher on the radio once talking about all these miracles. Like two weeks earlier, I'd heard this guy on the radio, which turned out to be Dale. And, um, but at the time, I didn't know that, right? I was in Ohio in a borrowed vehicle and turned on the radio, random channel. And this was 2008. And, um, and then later when I actually met Dale and the Lord brought us together, um, I found out that he hadn't been on the radio since 87 or 88. And so, uh, I don't. the Lord had His own channel that night. But He was doing things. He was arranging things. He was bringing us together. And up until that point in my life, that was the first time I'd ever heard anyone talk about miracles. And He kept referring to this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, what's that? You know, and um, he, he's talked about going into Russia and, and, you know, just talked all these miracles. I mean, like the guy was like a walking Jesus. I'd never heard of this type of thing. Right. And now it's commonplace. We, we do know about these things, but you got to remember from my perspective, then this was all brand new to me. And so um, I told the Lord that night as, as I listened to that, I said, Lord, I want to be used like that by you. Within two weeks, he had sent someone to my house, taking me to the Scripture and teaching me on the very subject. And the most unlikely person, because at the point when I actually heard the message, he wasn't even Spirit-filled himself and didn't know about it. He had just encountered it and he brought it immediately to me. And so, what he did is when we went to Mark 16 and he read that, these signs will follow them that believe. So, I immediately think, well, yeah, I don't know of anyone that that's following except maybe that guy I heard on the radio and I didn't even know his name at that point. And um, so I certainly don't know of anybody else. 
And if this is true, then this has to be, then this could apply to me. That these signs could follow me who believe. And so then immediately I had the question, well, maybe I don't believe, you know, because the signs aren't there. And I'm like, no, I believe. I can choose to believe. Right? And so he takes me to the book of Acts and he begins to read to me about the day of Pentecost. And and we're going to read it all in time here tonight. And then he takes me to case after case after uh, incident after incident throughout the early church where people, the Holy Spirit would come in and fill the room, fill them, come upon them. And I realize, and then he takes me to 1 Corinthians where it talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and, and the role and function of the Holy Spirit. And so I realize there is something here that I wasn't aware of. I mean, I, I knew the Word, you understand? I'd read those verses before, but I didn't understand them, so you just read fast and you keep going and go on to the next one that does make sense, right? We majored on 1 Corinthians 11, which was the covering, but we completely overlooked 12 and, and 14 because those we didn't understand, tongues and all that weird stuff. But then 13 was about love. Well, we can do that. We understood that, right? So we taught that one strong. And um, so now, all of a sudden, he, he lays all this before me. It was on a Friday, I believe. And so I, he goes home, and um, several days later, I called him on a Monday, and I said, hey, would you come back, and let's study it again. Let's go through the same verses again, and when we're done, I want you to lay hands on us like they did in the Bible, and if it's real, I'll receive it. Because I, I want all that God wants for me, right? That was just where our heart was, and so... He's like, okay, well, little did I know that he's freaking out because he's never done this before. And he's like, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. What should I do? He calls somebody and they're like, oh, just go over and lay your hands on him and pray and the Lord will fill him with the Holy Spirit. So long story short, that's what happened. And um, I want to present to you tonight a teaching that's basic yet thorough on the infilling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But primarily, I want to help you understand the difference between the Holy Spirit in you, which is for every believer, right? If, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you have the Holy Spirit in you, okay? I don't care about the terminology, but you can't be a believer in Jesus without having the Spirit of Christ in you, okay? So you have the Holy Spirit if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. But I want to teach you the difference between the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit on you. Okay, there is a significant difference. And I started by talking to you and and telling you about, you know, this time and season that we live in and how, you know, there's so many question marks and, you know, nation going to war with nation and things like COVID and, you know, just every crazy thing that's happened in the last couple of years. But we have the answer, right? And we have Jesus. And more than that, we have got the Holy Spirit who came because of Jesus, and empowers us to be able to live in this season and in this time effectively. Everyone say effectively. Effectively. Alright, so let's. I'm going to make this real basic and I'm going to keep it as simple as I can. Um, Who is the Holy Spirit? Alright? How would we explain to a child who is the Holy Spirit? Well, it's God's Spirit. It's His Spirit being. You and I are a three-part being. We are a spirit being. Okay, we have an eternal soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. Okay, your personality. That's your soul. Okay, we're spirit, soul, and body is what scripture tells us. 
So your body's pretty simple, right? That's the part you're looking at. It's the flesh, the bone, that the five senses, all of that. That's part of your body. But when we die, we don't cease to exist, do we? When our body dies, I mean. Our spirit didn't die. But when our body falls over dead, and, um, and then you go to the person's funeral, you don't say, well, so-and-so's laying here in the coffin. You say, so-and-so's with the Lord. Right? But their body's right here in the coffin. But that body, the good news is, is going to be resurrected again and all souped up and be able to do things and, that it couldn't do before, right? I mean, Jesus' resurrected body, He went through walls, but He could still eat. I mean, He could be transported from place to place. He wasn't limited by time and space. It was amazing. I mean, it's going to be amazing. So, who is the Holy Spirit? It's God's Spirit. And one of the ways to understand who the Holy Spirit is, is to understand what His names are. Right? Because in a name, you understand much about a person. Right? For example, we have this contraption on our kitchen counter that's called a toaster. And by the name alone, you already know a whole lot about that machine. It's a toaster. Right? What does a toaster do? Toasts things. Right? Or burns them, depending on the setting that you put it on. Right? Okay, so who's the Holy Spirit? Well, that's His first name, Holy Spirit. I mean, that's the first name I'll present. That's not His first name. He doesn't have a first and last name. Not like that. But He he is the Holy Spirit. Why is He called Holy Spirit? Anybody? Because He's holy. See, I told you it's going to be simple. He's holy. Alright? And we are to be like Him. That's what Scripture tells us. To be like Him. So He is God's Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit. He was present on the earth from the very beginning. If you read in Genesis, it says that when God created the heaven and earth, the Holy Spirit was there hovering over the water. And interestingly enough, nothing happened until God spoke. So the presence of God's Spirit wasn't enough. It wasn't until the Word of God came that the Holy Spirit went into effect and began the creation. The creating process. So uh, another name that we call Him you would read it in John 14, and eventually we'll go to John 14. Um, but Jesus said to the disciples, He said, I'm going to ask the Father and He's going to give you another counselor. Or some translations say comforter. So that's the name of the Holy Spirit. He's a, he's a counselor. And think um, when you think of counselor, think of like an attorney. Like if you're sitting in a courtroom, what do they call the attorney? He's the counselor. Right? He's the one who counsels you on what you should or shouldn't do. So, in much the same way, but not limited to only that, is the Holy Spirit. He's our counselor. He's also called the Spirit of Truth in John 14.17. So, He's a Spirit of Truth. So, He's not going to lie to you. He's called the Spirit of Life in Romans 8.2. Right? The law of the Spirit of Life in Christ Jesus sets me free from the law of sin and death. So he's called the Spirit of life. He's called the Spirit of Christ in Romans 8 as well. Spirit of Christ. Jesus shared the same Spirit with, with, that, the whole, that the Father's Spirit was also given to Jesus. right, and, and was within Him. Sometimes it's called the Spirit of Christ. Sometimes it's called the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's called the Counselor. Sometimes it's called the Spirit of God. But it's all the same, same being that we're talking about. He's also called the Spirit of Adoption. It's called the Spirit Himself. He's called the Spirit of Faith. Paul called Him that. And so, all of these names tell us things about who the Holy Spirit is. He is, he is our Counselor. He is truth. 
He gives us faith, or, or the spirit of faith. He is the spirit of adoption. He's the spirit of Christ. He's the spirit of life. And on and on and on. So, let's ask another question. What's the purpose or the role of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life? Okay, let's go to John 14. And we'll just... I'm going to try to move quickly because I have a, a long ways to go. And... Um, you know it can get long sometimes here in this house. We don't have an end time for a reason because we go until we're done. <clears throat> but in John 14 and verse 16, it says this. I, Jesus is speaking. He said, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Counselor to be with you forever. Alright? So this word is the word paraclete in, in the Greek. And from what I read about it, we don't have an English word that covers what that word really covers. We've got words that go too far in one direction or too far in another direction, but none that really encompass it well. And many different translations try to, they'll use different words like counsel, comforter, advocate, intercessor, encourager, and on and on, trying to um, bring out what, that, what his name means, the, the paraclete. But what I want you to see here in verse 16 is this. He's going to ask to give you another counselor. Well, was Jesus a counselor to them? He's talking to the disciples. Yes, he was. And he's saying, I'm going to, I'm going to ask for another one to come. Another one. And what's he going to do? He's going to be with you forever. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does for you and I, the believer, is companionship. Right? Scripture talks about he bears witness with your spirit that's on the inside of you. Because our bodies have been made the temple of the Holy Spirit is what the Word tells us. Remember in the Great Commission where Jesus is speaking to the disciples in Matthew 28 where He says, I will be with you to the ends of the age. So he, He's not going to forsake them. But then Jesus floated away in a cloud and left. So how was He still there with them, not forsaking them, if He went and sat down at the right hand of God the Father? Because of the Spirit of Christ that was now with them and, and with each person. So in that way, He was absolutely going to remain with them. Now, here's the trouble with Holy Spirit and unbelievers. In John 14 and verse 7, 17, it now goes on and gives them another name. He says, He is the Spirit of truth. The world, that would be unbelievers, the world is unable to receive Him. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. There's a blockade there. doesn't work. It doesn't fit. And so, there is only one way for the Holy Spirit to come to someone is they have to become a believer in Jesus. And John 10.10, Jesus said, I am the door. Anyone that comes through Me will have eternal life and shall be saved. Will experience salvation. Right? So, as Jesus, as soon as you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you confess with your mouth, and when that new birth process happens on the inside of you, that's the Holy Spirit now coming in you because you are no longer the world. You are a believer. In fact, um, let me just read to you what Peter said on, on this point. He was preaching and they asked, what should we do to be saved? And he said, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, for you and I, when we become born again, 
Remember, we're answering the question, what's the purpose and role function of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life? And, um, but how did he get there? Maybe we should ask. How did he arrive to be on the inside of the believer? And <clears throat> are you in John 14? Go over to 16. When you make Jesus the Lord of your life, everything changes. Your spiritual DNA changes. Here in, in John 16 and verse 7, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away because if I don't go, if I don't go away, the Counselor will not come to you. So Jesus is standing there looking the disciples in the eye and saying, it's going to be better for you when I leave. I mean, how many of you, if you, I remember thinking it'd be so, especially as a child, thinking it'd be so easy if Jesus would just still be on the earth and walking around telling us just like if you could be one of His disciples and be with Him and all of that. But Jesus' own words are, nope, there's something better. There's something better than having Him with you. There, it is better to have the Spirit of Christ in you than to have the bodily Christ beside you. Did you know that? It's better to have the Spirit in you rather than having Him as a person beside you. So he says it's for your benefit. Because when He comes in verse 8, He will convict the world of sin. So what's the, role, what's the function and role of the Holy Spirit for an unbeliever? Right here it is. He is going to convict. The word means to convince. To convince the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's His role with the unbeliever. He convinces them about these things. He convicts them. He invites them to the Lord. He tugs on them and pulls on them to the Father. He doesn't push away. He doesn't separate. He, he does not sit here and go, well, you're not good enough. Right? That's a spirit of condemnation. Different spirit. But the Holy Spirit will pull and invite and bring you to the Father. So that's His role to the unbeliever. But to the believer, He gives us new birth. He washes us. He regenerates us. He renews us. He sanctifies us. And these are all Scriptures that we could go to that talk about His role in us. In fact, uh, remember where he, Jesus speaks to um, Nicodemus in, in John 3. And he's, he's, he's explaining to him about the new birth process. And He says that you know, uh, what's born of flesh is flesh, but what's born of spirit is spirit. So when you become a Christian, your spirit is born again by the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's His role. That's one of the first things that He does for you as a believer. His new birth on the inside. And then in, uh, uh, Paul said this to Titus. He said that He saves us through washing of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. See, that's the Holy Spirit's role. And then in Romans, he said this to the Roman church. He said, my purpose is that the Gentiles may be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So he has this ongoing role for you and I, the believer. And we were taught these things. This was my understanding when I grew up. I, I knew about this role of Holy Spirit in our life. right? And this is what he did. What I didn't know about was the whole part where he comes on you instead of just being in you. So let's go to... Are you in John 16? Yes. Alright, let's look down into verse 13 and continue talking about the Holy Spirit in you, what He'll do in you. In verse 13, it says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Let's say, He guides me 
into all truth. Then he goes on and says, He will not speak on His own, but He will speak whatever He hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. So not only is He going to guide you into all truth, and one of the ways that He guides you into all truth is His Spirit bears witness with your spirit is what Romans says. It's a co-witness. means there's two witnesses. And He's witnessing on the inside with your spirit. You know when you go to do something and you don't have peace about it on the inside? That's Him witnessing with your spirit. Or when you're, when it, you shouldn't be having peace based on circumstances, but on the inside you have peace and you know this is the right, the right thing I need to do. That's His Spirit bearing witness with your spirit on the inside. Right? And so this is how, one of the ways that He guides you into all truth. He is, He is your teacher. In fact, back in chapter 14, verse 26, it says, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. So He's going to remind you of things that you've known. He's going to remind you of things Jesus has said, of Scripture, of promises, of truth. He's going to teach you. And um, so now, let's continue on. In verse 13, it says that <clears throat> He's not going to speak on His own, but He'll speak whatever He hears. In other words, what He's hearing from the Father. He will also declare to you what is to come. So He's going to show you things that are going to happen have not happened yet. And I'm quite certain that many of us, I know I could tell you um, just story after story after story, we could stay here all night of when Holy Spirit would tell me something that hadn't happened yet and then it would happen. And I would suddenly know things that hadn't taken place yet and then they would take place. So that's His role in you and I, the believer. Verse 14 says, He will glorify me. Jesus is speaking. So He's saying the Holy Spirit's going to glorify me because He will take from what is mine and declare it to you. So this is also the role of the Holy Spirit in you and I, the believer. He glorifies Jesus. Okay? So through you and I's lives, He glorifies Jesus. Someone say, Jesus is glorified, Jesus is glorified. by the Holy Spirit in me. <clears throat> Alright. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in the newborn again believer. Whether you've been born again for one day or 60 years, that's what He does on the inside of you. And that was just a real shotgun, bird's eye view, right? Of His role in you, the believer. Now let's look at... <clears throat> I'll just review. Oh, the Holy Spirit in you gives you new birth. This is, did you know that new birth is the first step towards discipleship? In fact, I'll say something that maybe will shock you. The goal is not to get people to be born again. In fact, this is part of the reason we've had so many that are weak and anemic in the church. Because they think the goal is to say the sinner's prayer and then I'm good. And now they just are orphans. They live like orphans instead of living like someone who actually has a father. But no, the purpose, the goal is to make disciples. The first step in discipleship is going to become born again. Come into the kingdom. And then there's a whole bit that comes after that of following after the Father. And, and G Jesus said this to, the, to them in the Great Commission. He, what, how did He say that? He said, you're going to do what? He said, all authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them. The word baptizing means immersing them. 
Let me read it that way because you'll understand it better. Immersing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Immerse them in God. So, make disciples, immerse them in, in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. That's what a disciple is and does. Alright? So we're not just making, um, making con- or converts, but we're making disciples. So, coming back to the Holy Spirit in you gives you new birth. He guides you. He directs you into all truth. He, he reminds you of things. He co-witnesses with your spirit. He shows you things that are yet to come. And He glorifies Jesus through you. So that's the Holy Spirit in you. Now the Holy Spirit on you does something different. The Holy Spirit on you empowers you, gives you power to be a witness. Plain and simple. It empowers you to minister to others. The Holy Spirit comes on you for the benefit of those around you. Alright? For example, I did this before, but I'm not going to do it to, uh, tonight because uh, I put my mic and pack and everything in danger. But you know, there's water in here. Alright? Okay, I swallowed water. Do you see the water in me? No. Right? That's water in me. Just like you don't necessarily see the Holy Spirit in me. I know it's there because I took a drink, right? And it's going to nourish me. The water's in me, but you don't see it. But if I take this water and just dump it all over me, do you see water on me if I did that? Yes, you would. It's now visible to others. It, it leaves something that is obvious to others. And so that is in a very simple explanation is an obvious difference between the Holy Spirit in someone and the Holy Spirit on someone. In them is for them. On them is usually for service to others. To empower, to enable. And, um, and we'll look at some of these here in a moment. Go over to Luke chapter 24. And I want to show you something. Actually, go to, go to John. Go to John 20. And we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit now. So, so one of the questions that I've often received is from someone who has not prayed and said, I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They say, what, what, then do I have the Holy Spirit? Yeah, of course you do. If you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, the Holy Spirit is in you. Alright? End of discussion. But did you know that having a cup of water in a boat is completely different than having the boat being full of water? Right? There's a significant difference. We're not talking about a different Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, or you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, like a boat would be filled with water, it's not a different kind of water that comes into the boat. It's the same water, just a lot more of it. Right? And when you get enough of it, suddenly you begin to see outward things start taking place and happening. And it's the same way with the Holy Spirit. He comes in us, and then He comes on us in greater measure, and suddenly you begin to experience and see some things that maybe you didn't see and experience before. Here in John 20, let's answer the question, when did the disciples become born again? When did they receive the Holy Spirit to live in them? Most people would immediately answer this question with Acts chapter 2, but that's not correct. Acts chapter 2 was when the Holy Spirit came on them. But the Holy Spirit came in them before Jesus ever ascended. And you can find that in Acts 
Now, now in, uh, in John 20 and in Luke 24, two different writers, but the same story. Okay? And you can go to verse 1 in Luke 24 or verse 1 in John 20, and they both say the same thing. That on the first day of the week, Jesus resurrects. Okay? And then if you would read those chapters, Luke 24 or John 20, you would get to the end of the day and you would see the same event happening. On that first day of the week, first day Jesus is resurrected, He comes and shows up in the room with the disciples. And they're all shocked and surprised and amazed. Because remember, they didn't believe it. They didn't think He was alive. I mean, the woman had gone to the, to the tomb and come back and told them, because Jesus said, go tell them. And they didn't believe her. And then we have the two guys on the road to Emmaus. That's in Luke 24. And Jesus shows up and talks to them and then disappears. You know the story. And then He says, well, um, these guys jump up, it says, that same hour, that night, and run back to the disciples and they tell them. You know, and they're like, whatever. And they're talking about this and it says they're in the room and the door's locked and Jesus shows up. Wow. Talk about Jesus. Here He is. So let's look at what happens next. In verse 19, let's just begin in verse 19 of John 20. When it was evening on the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, He showed them His hands and His side, so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent Me, I also send you. Now I have a question. What does it take to be born again? According to Romans 10, 9 and 10, what does it take to be born again? We have to confess with our mouth. We have to believe in our heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and confess with our mouth that He is Lord and Scripture promises and they will be saved. Okay? So that is what we would... you know, People talk about the sinner's prayer. That's the beginning of discipleship. Believe in your heart Jesus was resurrected and confess with your mouth that you believe it. Okay? It's that simple. So what just happened here? They didn't believe Jesus was resurrected, but He shows up and shows them His wounds. Now they believe He was resurrected. And they acknowledge it. This is when they become born again. Okay? Let's see the next verse. Jesus, in verse 22, after saying this, He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Do you think if Jesus says receive Holy Spirit, you're going to receive? Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't waiting for Him to come on the day of Pentecost in that sense. That was to empower them to be a witness. It comes on them like a garment. Like you would put on a garment. Well, in this case, He breathes on them and says receive the Holy Spirit. Well, they had just been born again because they just believed. Go over to Luke 24 and I'll show it to you on that side and how He words it over there. In Luke chapter 24, um, so he shows up in, uh, <clears throat> and if you look in verse 36, just to show you it's the same event, you know, they, it says, as they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst, and he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled? He asked them, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. That it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they still were amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate in their presence. See, ghosts don't eat things. 
So he's just demonstrating, look, I'm alive. I'm alive. They see his wounds, so they now believe. Then in verse 44, he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scripture. This was when he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Why can I say that? Because over in in 2 Corinthians 3, you'll find it in verses 14 uh, through 16, if you're taking notes, it says this. It's talking about unbelievers. And it says their minds are closed. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil, there was a veil over their minds, remains. It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. How do you be in Christ? Is to believe on Him. Right? Only in believing on Him can this veil be removed. He goes on in the next two verses and says, even to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. This is what it means when it says He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Because they believed in the Lord, they turned to the Lord, the veil is removed, the Spirit of God, who is now their teacher, comes on the inside of them because Jesus went, receive the Holy Spirit. And they did. And their minds are opened. And they now see and understand things that they didn't see and know before. They are born again, we would call it. The Holy Spirit is now in them. Some say, well, maybe He was just saying receive the Holy Spirit in preparation for... Well, then how come their minds were suddenly opened? How come they suddenly understood? No, it says it's removed. The veil is removed. Only in Christ. And if you're in Christ, then the Spirit of Christ is in you. Now, back in Luke 24 where you were at, let's see what the next thing Jesus talked about. So they now understand. Their minds are open. They're believers. In verse 46, He also said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in His name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending upon you. Some translations just say sending you. But the literal, if you'll look at the literal, it literally means come on you, upon you. I am sending on you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city of Jerusalem until you are empowered from on high. Again, the literal is clothed with power. Go go to Jerusalem. Stay there until you are clothed with power from on high. Not talking about Holy Spirit being in you. We're talking about Him being on you. It is visible. So if if you have clothes, before you came tonight, you put on clothes. Where does clothes belong? In you or on you? On you, right? Don't eat your clothes. Alright, let's go now to Acts chapter 1. He says, go stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power. So, you know, and then he he goes up and ascends into heaven. So, let's see what happens in Acts chapter 1. Now, this is before he ascended. In verse 4, Acts 1, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. What was the Father's promise? You'll be clothed with power from on high. Which, he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized, someone say, immersed with the Holy Spirit in a few days. 
You will be immersed with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but, now listen, you will receive power. You will receive power. Now listen, I started this whole sermon tonight by talking about all the wild things that we've faced in the last couple of years. And that you and I were created for such a time as this. Okay? Right here, it's because of the Holy Spirit in us and Him empowering us, you will receive power when? Some translations say after. That's a good translation as well. But it's at the point of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Not before, but when He's come on you or after He has come on you. Do you see that, that it says on you and not in you? It says on you, not in you. You will receive power. You and I can receive power to be a witness for Him right now in this day and age when He comes on us. He says, the Spirit will come on you and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea. Remember, they're in Jerusalem currently. So it's going to start here. Then it's going to go to Judea and then to the further region of Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. So after he said that, he was taken up in a cloud and ascended into heaven. Go over to chapter 2. This is ten days after this event. Ten days later. Here they are. They're all together. They're in that upper room. And the day of Pentecost arrives. It's a festival of weeks. And um, it says in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Now let me ask you this question. Are they believers in Jesus at this point? Oh, very much so. Right? They've, they, they believe He's been raised from the dead. They call Him Lord. They watched Him ascend into heaven. They know. Right? They have the Spirit of God living on the inside of them now. They have been born again. They are recreated. They've had the new birth. So now, in that state, they're all there in the room. And think about it. When Jesus said, wait until you're clothed with power from on high, they didn't know what this was going to look like. How's the Holy Spirit going to show up? Is He going to show up in a big yellow bus? Is He going to knock on the door? How will we know when He comes? Right? They don't know. They're just being obedient and staying. And then, here He comes. They were all together in one place. Verse 2, suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled This is different from having the Holy Spirit just in you. Now you're overflowing. You're filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now I want want to just point out very quickly here, it doesn't say that He was wind. It just sounded like a wind. It doesn't say that He was a fire, but it looked like a fire. Right? And then they're filled and they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enables them. And then there's a miracle that takes place in the hearing of all the people that come by. And they begin to hear 17 different languages being spoken. And if you read it and you'll look at it, it says that each man heard each one of them speaking in his own language. Right? So it wasn't that one guy was speaking this language, another guy was speaking that language, another. everyone was hearing them in their own language. And so the Spirit of God, there's a miracle that's taking place in the people's hearing, and they're hearing this in their own language, and in the funny thing is, is they thought they were drunk. 
People that came and were watching it, they thought, I mean, have you ever seen a drunk person? You know, they, kind of, they slur their speech, they stumble around, they're not real steady on their feet. Maybe they're laughing like a hyena. Maybe they're, they're just, they're drunk, right? If you've ever seen a drunk person, you know how a drunk person acts. Well, whatever they were doing, it was convincing enough that the people that came and looked at them thought they were drunk. Now that'll wreck most people's theology right there. Because they go, oh, you know, they, they like to put God in this neat, tidy little box, and it always looks this one certain way. But that's not how it was. In fact, it was so convincingly drunk that Peter thought, I can't let this go on. I have to address it and let them know, no, they're not drunk with wine. Because if it would have been like, what, well, anyone knows they're not drunk, he wouldn't have addressed it. But he saw the need to tell them. And so this is what he says in verse 14. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let it be known to you and pay attention to my words. These people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning, implying we haven't even had time to get drunk. It's the morning. We're not drunk. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And he quotes from the book of Joel. And it says, it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on. Everyone say on. On all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my Spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, a point of interest. Peter called this the last days. 2,000 years ago, he called it the last days. So, if he qualified to be counted among the last days, where do you and I count to be qualified today? Certainly the last days, right? I mean, if he was in the last days, we're even laster days. Okay? Much later. So if it was true then, then it certainly qualifies for now as well. You go to the end of the chapter, and then that's where Peter in verse 38 tells them to repent and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off as many as the Lord will call. So this is the Holy Spirit coming on them. And then the church grew by 3,000 people in one single day. Go over to chapter 4. Now, if you'll pay attention and you'll read the first like eight, eight chapters of Acts, you'll see like Peter and some of the others that were with him, they had this baptism in the Holy Spirit, this filled with the Holy Spirit like five or six times. It wasn't just a one-time event and then done. You know, if you were filled with the Holy Spirit back in 1993, well... That's great, but what about the rest of 1993 and then 94, 95, and everything since then? Right? So it's not just a one-time event. There is a first time, but then there's many subsequent infillings that happen after that. And Peter experienced that. So now we're just going to begin to look at what happened in Acts when they would get filled with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit would come on them 
What were some signs they would see? And how did this work and how did it happen? In fact, in uh, chapter 4, remember that in chapter 3, Peter and John, they go through the gate beautiful at the temple to go pray and there's a lame guy there. And he asks them for money and they say, well, we don't have money, but what we have, we give to you. And they grab him by the hand and say, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And he walks and everyone sees it and everyone knows that's the lame guy. And they get all excited and they form this huge crowd and as you can only imagine. And so because there's a huge crowd, the temple police get involved. And then everyone quiets down and Peter preaches to them and they don't like what he has to say. So they arrest him. So the next day, they're at court. They're having this court hearing. And they tell them, look guys, you cannot preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And that was one of the times that they said, we're going to obey God rather than man. And so, as soon as they're released, Peter and John go back to their church, back to their people, back to their company, and they began to pray. And they had some things they asked the Lord. And in verse 29 of chapter 4, this is part of their prayer. Said, now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. See, if the infilling of the Holy Spirit was just a one time event, they didn't need to ever pray again for boldness. They'd already have it, they'd be done. Right? It's always there. But no, they're asking for more. Verse 30 While you stretch out your hand for healing, signs, and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled. See, they'd all been filled back in the day of Pentecost. Now here they're filled again. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And what was the result? They began to speak the Word of God boldly. What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit on you? Is to be a witness. To be a bold witness. To empower you. To do signs and wonders and miracles and all of those things. Look over in chapter 6 of Acts. And talks about a man, Stephen. And it says that he was full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And then down in verse 8, it says, Stephen, full of faith and power. Well, is that a coincidence? That he's full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And then the next thing is talking about him being full of power and performing great wonders and signs among the people. No, that's not coincidence. This is what we need today. Let's go on and look at chapter 8. Now this is several years after the day of Pentecost at this point. And in chapter 8, it's for sure one year, and it could be as many as five years. Historians aren't sure. And in chapter 8, you'll see um, persecution had broken out. And they stoned Stephen because he preached that message they didn't like. I'm sure glad people deal with messages they don't like differently today than they did then. right? But they stoned him. And um, here... So the whole church gets scattered out of Jerusalem and goes all over. Well, as in that was happening in verse 4, it says, so those who were scattered went on their way preaching the Word. Philip, everyone say Philip. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said as they listened and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits coming, crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city, 
right? There were signs that he was performing. How was he doing that? Well, because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let's look in verse 9. A man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least of them to the greatest, and they said, this man is called the great power of God. And they were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. But, everyone say but. But when they believed Philip, remember Philip had showed up and was preaching the gospel to them. When they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Even Simon himself believed. And after he was baptized, followed Philip everywhere and was amazed as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. So do you see here that they are believers? They've been baptized. They've made Jesus the Lord of their life. The Holy Spirit is now in them. But let's see what happens next in verse 14. When the apostles who were back at Jerusalem, back at headquarters, right? When they heard that Samaria, this town down here, had received the Word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, see, Philip goes down and starts a revival. Now Peter and John show up and say, hey, what's going on here? After they went down there, they prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because He had yet not come down on any of them. doesn't say in. It says on. He hadn't come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't tell us that if they spoke in tongues or if they prophesied many times, when we read a verse like that, it'll say, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied and glorified the Lord. Okay, But in this case, it doesn't say that. But we know that something happened when they did it because of what Philip says. Not Philip. Um, Simon. In verse 18, when Simon saw, the next verse, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also, so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. So, I don't know what happened when they laid hands on them and it says they received the Holy Spirit, but something happened that everybody knew. Holy Spirit came on that one. Holy Spirit came on that one. And so, you know, I can, I can come over, and if this is, I'm, for those listening by internet, I'm laying hands on someone sitting here in the front row. And uh, if this is all that happened when the apostles laid hands on people, do you think Simon would have said, well, I want, it, I want that? No, for free, you can lay hands on people and have nothing happen. You don't have to pay for that. He wants to pay for the power of God to come on people. And so again, I don't know exactly what happened. I can imagine there was probably some tongues and there was probably prophesying and there was something obviously that took place that he tried to buy. Now We know that Peter didn't sell it to him and told him to go repent. Go look over in chapter 9. This is talking about Saul's conversion. Now this is anywhere from two to six years after Pentecost. Two to six years afterwards. The reason I'm pointing this out to you is because some people believe that they, they believe in dispensationalism. They think that the Holy Spirit and the reason that they had miracles and the baptism of the Holy Spirit was only for the very beginning to get the church started. Okay? To get it jump started. 
Well, over the course of 25 years in Acts, as you'll see, this goes on. It sure takes the Lord a while to get His church started if that's the purpose of it. Right? And so, obviously, that's not how the purpose of it. It's not like when God starts the church that it's like, well, you know, it's kind of like when you turn the choke on on your leaf blower. You know, and you start it and it's sputtering and carrying on and you got to baby it and work with it and adjust the, the gas and the air mixture until you get it running right and, you know, rev up the throttle and get it going right. That's not how the church works. It's going to go right from day one. Boom. Alright, go over to chapter 9. This is talking about Saul's conversion. You know the story. He's on the road to Damascus to persecute people. Bright light shines. He hears a voice. All these things. He's blinded. And then, then this guy has a dream. Not, not Saul. Saul's praying. But another guy. He has a vision. Has a dream. And the Lord tells him, go to Saul. And um, this guy's name is Ananias. And he says, go, go minister to him. So Ananias shows up, and in verse 17, this is what he says. Ananias went and entered the house, and he placed his hands on him, on Saul, and said, Brother Saul. What does Brother Saul signify? What does it imply? That he's a brother in Christ. That Saul has been born again already. That the Spirit of Christ has come to dwell within him. Alright? So he is already recognizing the fact that you believe. Okay? He's not converting him. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight. Yay. It would be good to see you again. But see, here's the point of what he's going to say next. Here's the point. Just because you become born again doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit came on you. It sometimes happens at the same time and same event. You're going to see that in some stories that I read. Sometimes it happens separately, just like right here. You become born again, Spirit of Christ comes in you, and then later another event happens, like what we had read back there with Philip and Simon and all those guys. They believed, but then the disciples came and laid hands on them. A secondary event happened of the infilling or the baptism or the immersion of the Holy Spirit. In other words, He's now on them like a garment endued with power. So here, Brother Saul, Lord Jesus, who appeared to you in the road as you were traveling, has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight. And, everyone say, and. And, he's already a believer, but it says, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And at once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and then he got up and was baptized in water. And so, we know that Paul spoke in tongues. It doesn't say that he did right here. But in 1 Corinthians 14.18, it says that Paul said, I speak in tongues more than all of y'all. Okay? He was from the south, by the way. That's why he said all of y'all. He also liked horse races. Did you know that? He said he went down to Derby a number of times. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is the story of Cornelius. He's not a Jew. Okay? He's a Gentile. But he loves the Lord. And he, he does all these things. Well, he has a vision. The angel shows up and tells him, hey, go ask for Peter to come preach you the Gospel. And so he sends for Peter. Peter is a Jew. He is not supposed to go to a Gentile's house. Okay, but Peter has an encounter with God too in a vision. And the Lord says, go. So Peter takes along some friends so that they can bear witness 
what's going on here, why he's over there hanging out with the Gentiles, and they go to the Cornelius's house. Okay, he is he's like a, a general or something in the Italian regiment there that was there, and um, so Peter shows up and says, "Why did you send for me?" They explain, "Here's why," and so Peter begins to preach to them. And he preaches a message in in Acts chapter 10 from verse 34 down to 43. A real short message. Just several verses long. And something took place as he was preaching. Because as he was preaching, obviously they believed. They received as he was talking to them. Listen to this in verse 44. By the way, if you are in our home groups, we are going through a series called Honor to Whom Honor. And it's such a big deal, but one of the things that we've been studying recently, we've been talking about interrupting. There's a right time to interrupt, but there's also a wrong time and a wrong place to interrupt people. Well, here's one where they were interrupting. God interrupted. In verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on, everyone say on, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that'd be the Jews that were there, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Well, how did they know? It says, for they heard them speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Him to stay for a few days. This is important to understand because here it didn't happen like it did the other times where they got baptized in water and believed on Jesus and then people showed up and laid hands on them and now they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It happened completely in reverse. They believed as they're sitting there listening to this message, the sermon, they believe. And so in that moment of believing, the Spirit of Christ comes down on them, in them, and they boom are filled and they speak in tongues and all this happens and then afterwards they get up and are baptized and and see everything happened they're believing on Jesus and being filled with the holy spirit the holy spirit coming on them all happened simultaneously boom one event but other times it didn't happen that way well maybe it's just because you know in God as he's jump starting the church things are starting to click and work together better now You know, they're happening simultaneously now. Things are getting better. We're getting the kinks worked out. Interestingly enough, let me read something to you that Menno Simons said. See, I didn't know this growing up. But after I was filled with the Holy Spirit and stepped into that as a way of living, I began to study and look at some things and I, I realized that being filled with the Holy Spirit as I was now made me more Anabaptist than my Anabaptist family who was not. Because did you know that early on the Anabaptists were all filled with the Holy Spirit? They would speak in tongues. There's multiple records of it. And through the years that, that, that got fizzled out. But check this out. This is what he wrote in his writing an explanation of Christian baptism in the water from the Word of God. You can look this up online. Under chapter title, How the Holy Apostles Practiced Baptism in the Water. He wrote in regards to Peter, and I quote, 
For although he was previously informed by heavenly vision that he might go amongst the Gentiles to teach them the gospel, yet he refused to baptize the pious, noble, and godly centurion and his consorts so long as he did not see that the Holy Spirit was descended on them, that they spoke with tongues and glorified God. But when Peter plainly saw that they were truly believing and that the Spirit was descended on them, he said, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Acts 10, 47 and 48. Behold, kind reader. This is Menno writing. Here you are plainly taught that Peter commanded that those only should be baptized who had received the Holy Ghost, who spoke with tongues and glorified God. Thus the practice of Peter was in accordance with the command of Christ in Mark 16.16. 16. This was what Menno Simons taught. By the way, Menno Simons is the guy that started the Mennonite movement. That's where they got the name. Menno. Mennonite. So interestingly enough, the Anabaptists, because we live in a community that is rich with Anabaptist history, right? Here in Lancaster. The Anabaptist movement started with being Spirit-filled and walking into these things. But anyhow, I digress. Let's go over to Acts chapter 19 now. In Acts chapter 19, this is now approximately 25 years after Pentecost. 25 years. And here's what happens. Previously, there was a guy named Apollos who had come to Ephesus. It says he was powerful in the Scriptures. He was fervent in spirit. And he taught accurately the way of Jesus. But there were some things he didn't understand. So, so uh, Aquila and Priscilla took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. Well, in that process, in chapter 19, Paul comes across some believers that Apollos had ministered to, but apparently the part that Apollos was missing was the part about the Holy Spirit. Okay, He taught them the way of Jesus, just not about the Holy Spirit. Because let's see what happens here. This is 25 years after Pentecost. So my point is, is, is it possible that the new birth experience and the baptism of the Holy Spirit could still happen in two different events today? Yeah, absolutely. If it could happen then, it could happen now. Well, here was the story. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, if it's an automatic that you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe, this is the most bizarre of questions. If it just automatically happens that way. Paul wouldn't have bothered asking this question, would have he, if it always happens that when you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit on you. But Paul knew that's not the case. That's not how this works. So he asks them. It's a legit question. They answer him. They said, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. He must be a little perplexed at that. He says, into what then were you baptized? He asks them. Into John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who came after him, that is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So now they're baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on. Everyone say on. The Holy Spirit came on them and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. 
There was about 12 of them here. So they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. One of the, one of the signs, there seems to be two, two signs that follow regularly throughout Scripture when someone got filled with the Spirit that they would speak in tongues and that they would prophesy. And so, what is prophecy? Well, very simply put, with an umbrella explanation, it's speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Inspiration of God. He's inspiring you to say something. It might be encouraging. It might be comfort. It might be you know, something that strengthens you. But it's under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Prophesying. Well, it doesn't mean that it's just talk telling the future. It could be. That could be part of the word prophesy. But that's not necessarily what it means solely. Or alone. But tongues, on the other hand, there's been a lot of confusion about it. Hasn't there? People hear about tongues and they go, oh, that's the scary stuff. We we'll stay away from that stuff. That's weird. Well, when, I, when I, I was telling you that I asked my cousin to come over and to go through these very Scriptures that we just went through just now, and um, I said, then you lay your hands on us and you pray. And so we went through the Scriptures and then I got down on my knees in the living room floor and he and his wife got around me and um, they laid hands on me and began to pray in tongues. Now that was the first time in my life that I'd ever heard that weird stuff. Tongues. Like, what in the world? Oh, that's what that sounds like. I wondered what that sounded like. Well, another person might sound completely different. But for them, they're praying in tongues. They're laying hands on me. And they're asking the Lord for the uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit to come upon me. So let's, um, before I go on with that, I want to very briefly help you understand tongues a little bit. One of the reasons that people misunderstand it is because, number one, they don't understand the purpose of it. Number two, they confuse multiple different kinds of tongues as all being one and the same thing. There is more than one kind of tongue. Okay, One tongue is unto the Lord. doesn't require explanation. doesn't require um, it being translated, interpreted, anything. It's to the Lord. And I'll read you a Scripture in a moment here about that. That type of tongues. That's nobody's business what's said. Okay, There's a different kind of tongues that is a message from God to man. And so if I give a tongue to Kevin, that one requires it to be interpreted so that he understands what the message was that was given to him. And you can look in 1 Corinthians 14. Sometimes it happens by the individual that gave the tongue. Other times it happens by someone else. I might give the tongue. Jim might have the interpretation. Right, and so um, that's one of the per- one of the reasons people misunderstand and they get afraid of tongues. Is they go, oh, when nobody translated it. Well, which kind of tongue are we talking about? One requires uh, being translated; the other one does not, or interpreted, I should say, and the other one does not. If you go with me to First Corinthians fourteen, I'll just show you a couple verses so that you can see the difference here in in the two types of tongues. In uh, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, now in chapter 12, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit, like word of wisdom, word of knowledge, uh, special faith, gifts of healings, the working of miracles, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and the discerning of spirits. Those are all part of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit that He gives to His body. 
right? To minister to each other and to others. But here, in this case, because people will read, they go through here and they read chapter 12, and then 13, and then 14, and they just think, when they, now when they read tongues, they think, oh yeah, this tongue back here, that's a gift of the Spirit to man. Um, and that's the way they hear it. But if you just read it real closely, you see that's not what he's talking about. Let's look in verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So everyone can prophesy. You should desire spiritual gifts. Did you know those nine gifts? It's very, very good to want them. To want them. He goes on and he says, the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people, but to God. So who's this tongue to? To To God. Not to people. This is to God. Okay? Since no one understands Him, right there shows us that it's not some known language. Like, it's someone here speaking Turkish, but nobody understands Turkish. No, it says no man understands him. So it's not a known language of the earth. Okay, It's something else. It's a language of the Spirit. And he says he's speaking to God, not to people. No one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the Spirit, or by the Spirit. Now God understands him. God understands it. That's the important part. We call that the prayer language or praying in tongues. Like earlier tonight when we prayed for Ukraine and people started all praying in tongues, they were praying, they were speaking out mysteries to God in the spirit, in the spirit realm, right? Doesn't require it to be translated because it's not to man, it's to God. Now, if you look down in verse six, he changes. He says, So now, brothers, if I come to you, not to God, to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation, knowledge, or prophecy, or teaching, or unless it was interpreted? So now who's he speaking to? To the people. To man. To you. He's not speaking to God anymore. He's speaking to you in a tongue. So do you see the two different kinds of tongues that are working here? One tongue is to God. It's your prayer language. And, um, and Paul said that Everyone should be able to do this. He wanted everyone to speak in tongues. Let's go back up to verse 4. The person who speaks in a tongue, this is the tongue that's to God, that God understands, it's mysteries in the Spirit. The person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. See, if you're prophesying to people, that's building them up. But if you're praying in tongues to the Father, speaking in tongues to God, that's building you up. It's personal building up that's happening. A charging up, if you will, of yourself. If you look over into Jude chapter 20, it talks about this. See, any place that you see in Scripture where it refers to praying in the Holy Spirit, it's talking about praying in tongues. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Alright? If you look in Jude 20, It says, but you dear friends, as you build yourselves up, well, isn't that the same language that we just read over here? The one who prays in tongues builds himself up. But you dear friends, as you build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, see there you have it. Praying in the Holy Spirit builds yourself up. It's why we do it. It's why it's important. It's it's a vital vital part of the victorious Christian life. Praying in tongues to the Father. 
And it'll also, not only will it build you up, in verse 21, he says it keeps yourself in the love of God. It keeps you in the love of God. Praying in tongues builds you up, charges you up, keeps you in the love of God. So praying in in fact, um, look, if you're, I don't know if you held a finger, but if go back to 1 Corinthians 14, and if you say, yeah, I'm not sure that praying in tongues is actually praying in the Spirit. Well, in 14.14, it says it is. It says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. But my understanding is unfruitful. Saying, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit is praying. But my mind is going, what? That doesn't make any sense. What's that? That's what your brain's saying. But we're not praying from our brain when we pray from our spirit. We're praying from our spirit man. Because first and foremost, we're a spirit being. We have an eternal soul. And we live in this temporary flesh and bone body. But as a spirit being, you can speak in a secret language to God that no man understands. The devil doesn't even understand it. That's why it's so awesome. Alright? No outside force understands it. Only God. Secret. It's mysteries. Alright, go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're still talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but sometimes people need to have their understanding helped with tongues in order to be able to step into the baptism. In, in 1 Corinthians 2, this is Paul, he's writing in his letter and he's telling them, I'll just start reading at verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear and much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with demonstration of the Spirit's power. Oh, remember you will be empowered from on high. The Holy Spirit will come upon you clothed with power to be a witness. So that's how He did it. So that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery. A wisdom God predestinated before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ears heard, no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love Him. Now God has revealed these things to us. How? By the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now listen to what he's going to say next. You know a person's thoughts. You know, he, he asks the question, who knows a person's thoughts except his spirit within him? In the same way, No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things. If I was going to paraphrase it, we also speak these things in tongues to God, is what he's going to say. So let's read it. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. Explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. Remember when Paul said that when you pray, your spirit prays, but the mind is unfruitful? 
is foolishness. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. It's not evaluated by your brain. And so, here we see the mysteries of God that He preserved for you and I. And that when you pray in, in tongues, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says that we are speaking mysteries in the Spirit to God. There are mysteries that are hidden for you since the foundation of the world. Mysteries that when you pray in tongues, you are praying out these mysteries. And the beautiful thing about tongues is you never pray a selfish prayer. Because you are praying from your born-again Spirit with the help of the Holy Spirit. You are uttering things that are going to be in 100% alignment with the will and plan of God. See, when we pray in English, we can pray selfishly, can't we? Even when we don't realize it. I mean, but an example is, is so a family's going to go to the park and have a picnic, so they pray for nice weather. But the farmer a block down the road is praying for rain because he needs rain for his field. So one's praying for what he needs, the other's praying for what they need, so which is it going to be, God? Maybe it'll rain everywhere but the park. If they're both operating in faith, that's how it'll go down. But my point is, is we can pray according to our desires. But when you pray in the Spirit, you're praying out the mysteries of God. It's mysteries in the Spirit to the Father, and it's not going to ever be a selfish prayer, but a prayer that is according to His will. And back in 1 Corinthians 14, he made this statement. He said in verse 5, I wish all of you spoke in tongues. I wish all of you prayed in tongues. Right? So everyone. He wanted everyone to do it. So, I hope, I hope that helps you understand tongues. And um, it comes from on the inside of you. It's not something that the Holy Spirit takes over and makes you do. He doesn't make you do anything. You just give way to what you're having on the inside. So, do I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yes, absolutely. Are you called? Let's ask a different question. Are you called to be a witness about the good news? Then you must have the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be effective. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Should everyone experience the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, Ephesians 5.18 says this, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions. But, on the contrary, be filled by the Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit. That word be, in the original language, it means a continuous, ongoing action. You're continually being, we could say it this way, be being filled. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember Peter? He's, he's filled multiple times in the first couple chapters. So it's not just a one-time event. It's a lifestyle of living. I've, I've, today, I've asked the Lord, fill me with Your Spirit. I've, asked, I've said it multiple times to Him as I prayed. Father, fill me full and overflowing with Your Spirit. Cause Your Spirit to be the, be the mark on my life that people recognize when they look at me. Right? So you can pray it every day. Now, back to my living room floor. I'm on my knees. I've asked my, I've asked my cousin to lay hands on us and to pray. And so he lays hands on me and he begins to pray. He prays in tongues first and then he begins to pray out in English. See, a lot of times that is a very effective way to pray because when you pray in tongues, you're praying out the mysteries of God and you pray that way until you know how to pray it out in English now. 
And so as you're praying, you just continue to stay in tongues until all of a sudden, now you have the urge on the inside, let's pray this out in English with my understanding. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, he said, so when, you know, when he made the statement, when you pray in the Spirit, you're praying in tongues. He says, but my mind is unfruitful. My mind's going, what? I don't understand. He says, so what will I do then? I will pray in tongues. I will also pray with my understanding. That's what he's talking about. You know, he's, he's going to pray in tongues until he knows how to pray in English. Or, well, for him it wasn't English. Whatever they prayed in, right? Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek. So, I was kneeling there on the floor. They're laying hands on me and they begin to pray in English and they say, alright, you know, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Father, fill Him full and overflowing with the Spirit of God. And I hear on the inside of me, Something, not, not, not on the inside of me. That's not correct. Um, I heard out here, okay, in my, in my ear, something whispering to me, telling me, why would the Lord give something to you that was that valuable? After all the things that you've done, intentionally done wrong. Why would the Lord entrust you with His most precious thing? His Spirit. After the what you've done. You haven't earned it. And immediately, I heard a Scripture now on the inside of me. A Scripture that just flowed up and I, I just word for word repeated it through my head. And this was the Scripture. Now, I knew of these verses, but I never could have quoted them to you. This is what I heard. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, yeah, that's me, I qualified. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so I immediately grabbed that verse. That's my lifeline. Right? That's my lifeline. I'm asking for the Holy Spirit. So Father, I, I receive. I ask You for the Holy Spirit. You said that You'd give it if I just ask. I mean, the verses that come right before this are ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. And then He says what I just read. And so I grabbed a hold of these verses and I said, okay, I receive in the name of Jesus. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. And they got done praying. And I stood up. And you know, there was no great display of power. I didn't pray in tongues. Nothing. It seemed like nothing happened. And some of you have been in that place where you've prayed, you've asked for the infilling of the Holy Spirit, but nothing seemed to happen. And so you went away thinking, I did not receive. And disqualify yourself and disconnect yourself from the receiving. But the Lord quickened me on the inside and gave me some wisdom. And so this is what I did. I got up off the floor and I knew that I had to have received the Holy Spirit because we asked. And He says if we ask, He'd give it. That's what the promise is. And so if He's not a liar, it's absolutely true. So I've received the Holy Spirit. I'm just too dense to recognize what it feels like. So it can't be a mistake on His part. It has to be on my part. I'm just not recognizing what, he, what he's like when he shows up. So I got up off the floor and this is what I said. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. It was a statement of faith. 
a statement of faith because I believe the promise. I've asked. He said I'll give it. So I've asked. So He gave it. So I have it. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. And I prayed. I said, Lord, I want to be able to talk in tongues, pray in tongues. I want those things. I want the gifts of the Spirit to flow in my life. Father, I desire these things. And so then we talked the rest of the evening for a little while and then they went home and we went to bed. And the next day at work is when I started praying in tongues. I was actually, it kind of took me by surprise because I, I was um, ha- had a problem and I was trying to figure out this problem on the construction job site and I figured it out and I was thanking the Lord under my breath. Oh, thank you, Lord, that you direct this and you guide me and your spirit leads me to the right answer and the right thing and I'm just thanking him like this and all of a sudden I realize I'm thank you, Lord. Oh, that was tongues. You know, and so, but that's weird. I'm not going to do that in front of anyone else. And so I go home and I wait until she goes to the shower. And I go to my office and I pray, Lord, that was awesome. I want more of that. And man, like a river now. Remember, he said, like rivers of life, he will flow out of you. And praying in tongues and allowing it to build me up on the inside. And I begin to pray like a river in tongues and I have a vision, right? And the Lord shows me some things that are to come. It's interesting how when you begin to pray in tongues and press on that, that suddenly you'll start having other revelations and the other gifts of the Spirit will begin to flow in your life. Like the discerning of spirits. That's what a vision is. And so I had this vision. And the Lord talked to me about being ordained and entering into the ministry. And talked about a previous vision that He'd one time shown me. And said, now's the time. And so I knew that there was certain things that needed to take place so let's not resist the father let's just receive it and if you say well i don't feel like anything happened well believe that you have received and it will be yours is what scripture says believe that you have past tense received so when you ask for the infilling of the holy spirit never again do you say i didn't receive You say, I am full of the Spirit of God and of His presence. And I walk in the anointing of His Word. And His Word works mightily in me. His Spirit flows in and through me. And at any moment where I need it, His Spirit flows through me and ministers to other people. And that's how you talk to yourself. Even when you feel like, boy, I'm a dirty, rotten rascal today. Because we're not our feelings, are we? Yield to the Spirit of God. All right, stand with me if you would. Um, worship team, you can come. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. You can repeat it after me. And I'm going to ask the Father, I'm going to give Him permission, and then I'm going to ask Him to fill us with His Spirit. In us, on us, the whole kit and caboodle. Alright? Nothing left out. Because we need this to be able to be an effective witness in the earth today. To walk in power. Do you have it? No, do you have it? Okay. My children, we're coming into a time where you can't live in the flesh. I don't expect you to live in the flesh. I want you to know me and to know my spirit. 
I want you to know the obedience. As I touch you, you will know, you will hear, you will yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. I love you, but I love everybody. I died for whosoever, and everybody has a choice. Who will they serve? But you may be the one that will talk to this person. You may be the one that will be a mighty witness to a multitude. I lead by my Holy Spirit. He lives in you if you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But as you yield to him, he'll come upon you to do great and mighty things. Because we are in a time where living in the flesh is not, won't be easy. It will be a difficult thing to do. But as you learn to trust in me, as you learn to yield to me, I will be your strength. I will be your peace. I will be your joy. Because it's the fruit of the Spirit, don't you know? We have to learn to walk in the fruit of the Spirit and trust in the Holy Spirit. Learn to know him. You saw it in the Word. Pastor spoke it tonight. He spoke it very clearly tonight. Hey, God wants us all to know. He wants us all to move by the Spirit because that's why I sent him. He is your prayer. He is your strength and your peace and your love and your joy in the Holy Ghost. So be faithful. Yield. Say, Lord, here I am. Use me because I want to use you. I want to touch your life. And you're the only one that may touch somebody's life. That person, that person I died for, but you may speak into his life. And you may bring him to a revelation of Jesus Christ. And you may save his soul because of what you speak by my spirit. Thank you, Lord. All right. So that is a tongue to people and an interpretation. And I'm grateful to the Lord for uh, him giving us this word and this confirmation and this encouragement because we're talking about it and it gives us a, a, an opportunity to see how it works and functions. Notice that when you read in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, that it's never a tongue being translated. It is always an interpretation. And there is a difference between a translation and an interpretation. For example... They could begin playing music and I could do an interpretive dance. You don't want me to, but I could. All right? So it's what I am getting, what the meaning of this music is. I'm interpreting it. It doesn't mean that it's word for word, but it's the meaning. You're getting the meaning across. Translation gives the idea of word for word. Right? So you might have a short tongue and a long explanation, which is perfectly acceptable because it is called interpretation, not translation. And not only that, God can say a whole lot with just a few words, can He? It can take us a while to try to get it out and break it out into English. Or it can be vice versa as well. So Father, we thank You for the, 
for the message that You gave to us, the tongue, the interpretation that You gave to us. And we receive it and we'll walk in it in Jesus' name. Now, if you desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to walk in this, then just say, repeat after me. If you don't want it, then don't say it. It's that simple. All right? And if you really want it, then just go ahead and receive it. The Father God, thank You for the most wonderful gift of all, the gift of salvation. Lord, You promised another gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit. I want all You have for me. Baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Just like You did in the days of the early church. I consecrate my life to You. I am a believer. And Lord, You said that believers would speak in unknown tongues. Fill me now. Give me this gift of tongues. I believe I have now received the Holy Spirit and power to be a witness for His glory. Thank You, Lord. So be filled, be full, and be overflowing in Jesus' name. I was going to say this privately, but the Lord's dealt with me to say it publicly. Larry, I don't think you missed it. Um, the Lord dealt with me. It was a lack of preparedness and openness and expectancy on my part. The message the pastor gave tonight, you need to embrace. We need, I need to come up another level. All of us. Do we love one another enough to, to lay down our comfort zone? Do we love one another enough to push past the fear? Well, I've never done that before. Why are you going to see yourself doing it? Are you going to desire it? Are you going to expect it? Are you going to, when you hear a tongue being given, be like, Lord, is it me? The reason I say I missed it, Larry, is because two seconds before you said that, I had the thought flit across my brain. What if you had the interpretation? And then it was like this deer in headlights moment when you said, 
Jen, you have it. And because I didn't feel, why didn't I say, Lord, I'll take a step in faith? The hour of the times demands it. He needs his church edified. You need to be edified. The church needs built up. This is how he wants to do it, through one another. There is not just one Larry here. Yeah, that's right. Who's willing to be a mouthpiece? Am I willing? I just purpose to you, my family, I will be open. I will lay down my comfort zone. I will lay down my fears of missing it. I'm not above missing it. I'm not above, you know, that's pride. Just, what if I miss it and look like, yeah, I didn't have it. You know what? Okay, but then try again. Are you willing to be a mouthpiece to edify each other so that you can go out, your brother and sister can go out empowered to be who they're supposed to be in this time? So that's what I have to say. I just love how many teachable moments we have tonight. Because, you know, none of us here want to miss it, right? We don't want to be fake. We don't want to um, do something that isn't pleasing to the Lord. And so, but I'm telling you, in, in the house of God is where these things, the gifts of the Spirit, they are to happen here, not just here, but this is one of the places. And so this here is a, you know, a lot's been said about safe places in today's woke culture. Well, this isn't a woke place, but it is a safe place. All right? We are a family that are growing together in this. And you know what? We don't mind stepping out onto the water. Peter started to sink, but he walked on water. All right. So let's be water walkers. Let's step out in faith. Let's follow the promptings and the unctions of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. And if we miss it, He will correct us and get us back, make the adjustment that we need to make. There's no shame in it. I would, I would much rather, I would much rather direct and guide a wildfire then try to get wet wood lit. So which are you? Kindled, burning wood? Or wood that's just wet and afraid? Do you have something to say, Josh? I'm not sure it's on still. You know, the Lord would rather that we step out and miss it than not step out at all. Yeah, because right. He can't guide a ship that's not moving. But if we're willing to take the step of faith, then he can bring correction. But it takes a step of faith. So we need to be willing to step out and miss it. He'd rather have that than not step out at all. So next week, this place is going to be full of people that are expecting to be used by the Lord in the gifts of the Spirit. Expecting that God's going to speak through them. Whether it be a tongue, prophecy, interpretation, or working of miracles, or whichever one it is, right? Maybe it's encouraging somebody. Let's be willing, because He is able. Amen? 
All right, there's time of refreshments downstairs. Everyone's invited. everyone. Blessings to all of you and thank you so much for coming to Church of the Word International here at Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Really honored that you all came as family tonight. I'd like to encourage you in the Word of God is for our worship time together and Psalms 111 is where we landed tonight and it's praise the Lord. Amen. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, aren't they? They're so good. He's so good. Studied by all who have pleasure in them. His work is honorable and glorious and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Have you experienced that from the Lord? He's full of compassion. He's gracious. He has been given food to those who fear him. He will never, he will ever be mindful of his covenant. He has declared to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are, are true and just. All his precepts are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Let's stand up together, family, and let's thank the Lord for his graciousness, his compassion, his tender mercy, his loving kindness. He's so worthy of our glory and honor and praise. Amen. Well, in his presence, there's... Yeah. So is there joy in the house tonight? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Our God is here. What's good, Steve?
Well, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Joy in the house. There's joy. You know, Scripture tells us to leap for joy. Most people will read that thinking that you leap because you have joy, and that's not what it says. Come on. If you want joy, leap. <laughs> it's just like this. If you're ever feeling defeated and, and worn out and tired, if you will just begin to shout victory. I mean, get yourself alone in the car. You're driving down the road, and you're in a moment where you're feeling defeated and worn out. All you have to do is start shouting about victory, and suddenly your feelings change. Okay? Our feelings are extremely fickle. Right? They change with the weather. They change with the taste of food. They change by whatever. Right? So we're not going to be feeling led. No, we direct our feelings. We tell our feelings how to be. So if you're here tonight and you're going, man, I'm just not sure that I'm so sure about all this joy in the house of the Lord. You just need to jump a little bit. And you'll come across and into the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. Someone say, I am victorious. I am victorious. You know, there's a reason that scripture says, let the weak say, I am strong. Because our words carry power. And when you say, I'm strong, even when you feel completely the opposite, there's your spirit on the inside is getting stirred and it's waking up and it's being the one to lead. Right? We're going to be spirit led, not flesh led. Hallelujah. I just get to preaching before we get into all of it. You can be seated. We're going to have a baby dedication. And so if you are, um, have, are joining us tonight, especially for this special event of dedicating uh, little Eleanor to the Lord, we are excited to have you here with us. And um, Shannon and Heather, you can come up. Am I pronouncing that right, Eleanor? Life is always so precious, isn't it? And you can be, you can be, you don't have to believe in God, but if you've ever witnessed a birth, I don't understand how you can come through something like that and go away saying, I don't believe in God, because it's such a miracle that takes place. And um, we're grateful for the life the Lord has given to you too. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and then I'm going to ask you, the congregation, some questions. And um, Shannon and Heather, you can answer, we do. And then uh, when we get to you, the congregation, you can answer, we do. Shannon and Heather, do you desire that Eleanor will grow in the fear and admonition of the Lord? And do you promise to provide for her a Christian home where God is honored and His Word is taught? We do. Do you pledge yourselves to live in such a way that your words and actions will commend Jesus and His church to Eleanor? We do. Do you promise that you will be a spiritual guide for Eleanor, praying and watching for the day when she will be ready to receive Christ as personal Lord and Savior? We do. And let me just add into this. You know, we believe in this house that, you know, we don't do the whole baby baptism thing and all of that, but we dedicate the little one to the Lord. And we believe their spirit is alive to the Lord. That when they're born... In Romans 7, Paul says it this way. He said, I was alive and then I died. 
Well, Paul was very alive in the physical, natural realm when he wrote that. He hadn't died yet, but he was talking spiritually. There was a time where he was alive, and then he said the law came, understanding of the law came, and he died. And so that would have been at his age of accountability, right? And so when, when that little one, we dedicate them to the Lord, their spirit is alive to the Lord, and then the day comes where little Eleanor or your little one that you're holding is going to have to make a decision to continue on with the Lord. You know, the Word talks about having your name erased from the book of life. Well, how did it get there to begin with? Because by default, you've been put there. But then as you come to the age of accountability, you have to make the decision for it to remain and to go on with the Lord. And, and here's the beauty of it. They may be you know, five or six years old when they make that first commitment. And then again, when they're 10 and 12 and 13 and 15, they may, they may several times make a new commitment to the Lord because as they mature and become more responsible, these new areas in their life that they are now um, have an understanding for, they commit those to the Lord as well. And so you see it as a progression. And it's not that they're getting saved all over again, right? But it's just further submitting themselves and their lives to the Lord and His direction as they go. Is that, is that good for anyone? I hope it's good for you at least. Alright, so to the congregation, we have questions for you, two of them. Do you, the people of God in this church, covenant with Shannon and Heather to provide a loving church home for Eleanor? We do. I guess I don't need two, two mics. Do you promise to continue teaching the Bible in this church so that Eleanor will never lack hearing the truth of God's Word? We do. Yes, yes, and yes. Alright, let us pray. Honey, why don't you join me and um, dedicate little Eleanor. Father, we just thank You right now for this precious, precious gift of life. Thank You for giving Eleanor to Shannon and Heather. Thank You for health in her and that You've given her a healthy, strong body. And Father, right now, we just dedicate her to You. We present her to You, Father, for Your service as set apart unto You and unto Your purposes and Your glory. And I thank You for this, Father. I thank You for protecting her all the days of her life. Thank You that You've assigned angels to protect her as her guardians. And we just present her to You. Father, I ask too for wisdom for, for Shannon and for Heather as they be the godly parents that You've created them to be. Lord, I ask You to impart into them the things that they don't know and, and to give them and to um, give them a, an awareness of even before things come into being of how they need to pray and what they need to say to be the spiritual, the spiritual guides for her in Jesus' name. And amen. We have a gift for you. And uh, is there anything you'd like to say? Okay, you can be seated. <clears throat> Who can say, so be it? We've done that lots of times in this house, haven't we? Lots of little ones that aren't so little anymore. And um, hallelujah, it's always precious. We are going to release the uh, children to their children's church. Now, we're keeping uh, first and second grade in the service tonight because we're short on, uh, on staff for them. So first and second grade will be in the service, um, but the rest can go to their classes. And, and those of you that are still here in the, in the uh, build room, 
you go ahead and, and turn to your neighbor, welcome someone, introduce yourself, make them feel, uh, feel right at home. Well, good evening again to everyone. It's good to see you all here. I trust you're glad to be here as well. Amen. Well, if you're here for the very first time, we're especially glad that you're here. So could you raise your hand so we can welcome you, acknowledge you, see who you are? Anyone here for the very first time? Over here. Welcome. We're so glad you're with us. All right. Well, we're going to prepare to return the tithe to the Lord this evening. So if you need a cash envelope for your giving, you can raise your hand. That would be if you're giving in cash. You don't need to if you're giving by check. If you're giving by credit card, do fill out all of the blanks. The direction that I had for tonight um, may be indirect, but I, I really felt like I, I sensed correctly in what the Lord wants me to share tonight on when we return the tithe, when we return our offerings. You know, we often teach about uh, we honor the Lord with our substance. And that's right. You know, we honor the Lord with our wealth, as it says in Proverbs 3. And that's right. We should. The Word says so. We obey it. But I want to go further. I want to go what's beneath that. Why? Is it enough to just, you know, if we were to to uh, drag someone in here off the street, you know, drag him in here, shake his pockets out into the offering basket, is that all that God cares about? Just bring him an offering. Just give me your stuff. Just you honor me. If you did that, well, now you honor me. No. God is very keenly interested in our heart, in your why, your motives. Why do you do what you do? Why do you obey the Lord? I mean, now that's a great step. Why do you obey the Lord? Well, but is it out of fear? You know, why do you serve at church? Why do you give an offering? Why do you support ministries? Why do you behave a certain way? Why? Why? That matters. Well, we're going to read out of Mark. Mark chapter 12, and I'm going to read uh, verses 28 to 34. One of the teachers of the law. So um, Jesus had been debating with the teachers of the law and the, I don't know, all the religious groups about an issue, and so one of the teachers of the law had overheard this, and he came uh, saying that he heard them debating, and he noticed that Jesus had given them a good answer, and he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? This is really interesting. This is really important. You know, here Jesus is about to tell us what is the most important commandment. So we're all ears. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. One God. There's not many. There's not many different ways. No, there's one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Notice how, you know, he asked him what the most important commandment was. But Jesus gave him the most important commandment. But boy, right next to that one is this one. The second one, he says, is this. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. It's, I know he, he said commandment one, commandment two, but they are really close. Why? Because as you love your neighbor is how you love God. There's no such thing as, oh yes, I, I love God, I honor God, I'm all about it, respect him, but I don't love his people. I don't respect people. I don't honor, I'm not honorable. No, it, it doesn't work like that. It is demonstrated in how you treat your horizontal. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love, and then he repeats, he says, to love him with all your heart, all your understanding, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important. Now look at this. He makes a connection. He says it's more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. So he, he connects two things. He, he's recognizing that, you know, there's an outward demonstration of these things, but he's connecting this heart motive with the outward demonstration. It's not enough just to drop something in the basket. You know, but when you love God, when you love his ministries, when you love his people, there is the outward demonstration. But you could go through the motions and it not be out of a love for God. And if it's not out of a of a sincere, pure love for God. God's not pleased with it. I don't care how many zeros are on that check. That is our heart motivation. So this is self-examination. We should do this, I mean, every day. We should be examining ourselves. It's real easy for us to have, if if we don't self-examine regularly, it can be easy to get off. So we should just be examining, well, what is my why? Why did I come tonight? Why did I, why am I serving in the children's ministry? You know, I get really irritated, you know, with crying babies and, you know, sassy kids and, you know, all this, but gotta look, you know, make somebody happy and, you know, I feel guilty if I don't. Well, no, God wants our heart. So just, we each examine our own selves, not our neighbors, but let's return the tithe, return our offerings, give our offerings from hearts that love God sincerely. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we want to please you. We want our life to be a sacrifice for you and do everything that we can to further your kingdom, to walk holy and upright before you, to sincerely walk out the love that you've shown to us, that we pour that out to others. Lord, I just ask you to show us and increase our understanding of how to love you more, how to honor you more, how to be honorable people to one another, how to love our fellow man, because as we love them is how we love you. So, Father, we just, we're so grateful to you tonight. We thank you that the way you've honored us with your presence and the way that you've honored us with resources and jobs and so many good things. And so we're, we're thankful and, and cheerful to return the tithe. We're glad to give you these offerings. And we just thank you for increase to our accounts. We thank you for every need met in this house according to your word in Jesus' name. And amen. amen. And the ushers will pass the baskets and the people will return the tithes and offerings with sincere hearts out of love for God.
All right, a couple things I wanted to mention in the bulletin. We have CityGate Columbia tomorrow morning. There's youth and young adults here at the church tomorrow night. Yeah. Let's see if we can if we can get a yeehaw for this next thing I'm going to say. We need some volunteers in our children's ministry. So we're, we have a, one of our volunteers is about to go on some maternity leave because they're expecting, Jill and um, Zach are expecting their baby soon. So she's going to need to step out for a couple of months. So we'll need one adult in the nursery. And we also are short an adult, a female adult in five, wait, no, taken care of. Praise God. We thank you for your hearts to serve Jesus in this way. Because honestly, that's what we're doing. We are serving Jesus because why? We are his body. What you do for this local body is serving him. Also, I noticed downstairs. Now, if I'm saying something that somebody has other information about, and uh, um, correct me or feel free to speak it out. But I noticed downstairs there is a balloon arrangement. I'm guessing that's for the Ethiopian people. I would highly encourage you parents, can you just keep hold of your kids? Don't let them touch that. Don't let them, you know, it's not there for them to take pins or whatever and pop all those balloons for their enjoyment. So let's respect and honor our sister congregation or our brother and sisters in Christ in this way. I'm sure they would appreciate it. All right, pastor, you come bless the people. Well, the first thing that I want to do is, where did Janelle go? All right, we'll do that in a bit. We'll do something else first. Um, I want to invite Pastor Dale to come, Apostle Dale to come. And um, I've asked him if he would just take a couple minutes and share with us about the world scene that we're currently um, standing on, on, on the uh, threshold of. Everything that's going on there with Ukraine and Russia. And um, I don't know of anybody that has more connections and is more connected with uh, people there and people here and government and all of that. And so um, I thought it would be best if you could give us a bird's eye view of what's going on and how to pray. Amen. Well, I, I, uh, on the, as we were driving over here, Terry was driving, uh, I felt impressed to the Lord that uh, Pastor Sidney was going to ask me to share and then when he, he did ask me, I went back and sat down and the Lord said a few things to me that were unexpected in my heart. So I need to rehearse a few things because many, many of you are new uh, to our body since all of these events began. Because if you watch the news, you think this began eight days ago. No, it started eight years ago. And we as a church family were very very involved with that from the beginning and I, I want to be bold about that so that you would understand what the Lord said to me he said the prayers of this church for Ukraine are more powerful than the prayers of any other church in America yeah wow and yet in January, eight years ago, when the Lord spoke to me, I was preparing to go to Russia and then Ukraine. The Lord said, uh, 
You're going to live out of a suitcase. You're going to travel more than you've ever traveled. Accelerate the promotion of Sydney into the pulpit. Everything fell into place. My wife sacrificed her husband for 70% of every year for eight years. And during that, many of you saw the hand of God, not the hand of Dale. You can't, you, you can't but say it was God that used this body, this body, this leadership, these willing offerings, these prayers that brought us in touch. You know, when the Lord said, go talk to the president of the Ukraine. Now there's, there's been six and the Lord's brought me to four of them, you know, my Lord, the president of Ukraine assigned a general to be my personal bodyguard. Uh, when, when they were having trouble with the World Bank, Gene knows he was involved in D.C. with a little Bible study we had with, a, with an Armenian couple who work at the World Bank. God had healed him of terminal cancer. And the day I called, three hours after meeting with the, the wife of the president, about the World Bank. I called him. He was at his desk in D.C. And, and, and the phone went silent. I thought I lost connection. I said, Corinne, are you there? And finally he came back. His voice was broken. He said, Pastor Dale, I, I just came back from the office of the president of the World Bank and he made me the director of the Ukraine. How, 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 we have to see the hand of God that this body, for some reason, God's been using us and has anointed us. I know it's not the only call. I know there's other deep wells. I know there's other anointings, other nations. Come on, look at the flags. That's my heart. That's your heart. But for right now, in this little nation of, well, it's not even little. It's the size of Texas. It's 45 million people, and they're being killed right now. And we're being subjected in the U.S. media to a ton of lies financed by Vladimir Putin and the Russian uh, uh, influences in the media. Ninety percent of what you're hearing is garbage. This has nothing to do with Mr. Trump. This has nothing to do with Mr. Biden. This has nothing to do with Mr. Biden's son. This has nothing to do with George Soros. This has nothing to do with Putin cleaning up a corrupt society. This has something very specific to do with freedom against tyranny that began with about 40 pastors meeting in the center square of Kiev, Ukraine in the fall of 2013. About 50 pastors gathered to protest the fact that their president was, was a dictator and had broken his promises and these pastors found a politician to come and speak. His name was uh, Klitschko, a famous boxer who later became mayor. And after that meeting, it exploded until there was 1.5 million people on the city square. The president ran away. A Baptist pastor who'd become Speaker of the House was now the new president by default. And they began to fight for freedom. And Russia immediately attacked in 2014. I was in Moscow when they attacked and they took the Crimean Peninsula. It would be like attacking America and taking Florida. And then they attacked again and they actually attacked the city I was in, the city of Donetsk. I left the day the first man was killed. Pastor that was calling me to the Bible school closer to the Russian border. 
Uh, I asked him if he'd forgive me. I need to go to Kiev. The Lord said, go speak to the president. He went back to Luhansk and he died. I went to Kiev and met the president. And all the time, our church is praying. And they resisted the full force of the Russian army at that time. But now our U.S. media was saying headlines like this. Will Putin invade? Think about it a minute. If Putin had stolen Florida and then Maryland and Delaware and held them for eight years while we were in constant war, would any newspaper say, will Putin invade? He invaded eight years ago. What's happening over there is a pivotal time for Eastern Europe. It's certainly as pivotal as the moment Chamberlain got on a plane and he flew to, to deal with Hitler. I understand now Chamberlain's been vilified and maybe he was a villain. But I also understand at that time he only wanted peace. But Hitler wasn't the kind of man to give peace. Now we have NATO not helping Ukraine because we don't want World War III. We don't want nuclear weapons. We don't want biological weapons. But there's no guarantee if Putin conquers Ukraine, and he very well may, that he'll stop there. Poland and the European countries, Germany, Bulgaria, and several other countries offered to give jets to the Ukraine. And 24 hours later, they reneged on their promises. Each of them gave a different excuse, except Poland. They told the truth. Poland said, we can't give them to you. We need them for our own defense. So we need to recognize that right now we are, we are on the verge of something worse. It'd be hard if you lived in Ukraine. It'd be hard for you to say anything could be worse. But we need to pray. We need to shut this thing down in the spirit. And God said to me, this church. Let's just stand up and pray. You say, Pastor, I don't know how to pray because I, I don't know what to believe on the news. Thank God for praying in other tongues. Lord, I don't know what to do. My, my children are in Ukraine. We bind the spirit of war and violence. We, we bind this, this deceiving spirit of power. We come against the spirit of Antichrist that would bring nation against nation. We say no. We say no. In the spirit, we say no. Father, we thank you for wisdom surrounding every diplomat, every politician who is involved in the decision-making processes that are going on right now, that you would supervise them, that your spirit would show up and manifest, that your glory would break through in meetings where there's nothing but violence and anger, but that the power of God would fill those rooms in the name of Jesus. And we bless you and honor you, Lord. I don't understand it. And Lord, I'm just asking you to be patient with us. If I don't understand it, I know even we in your church and your sheep, your people, your children, we don't understand how you want to use us. But Lord, you said the prayers of this church are more powerful. So I'm asking you to wake them up in the middle of the night. I'm asking you to remind them in the middle of the day. 
I'm asking you to call on them to pray. Let the spirit of intercession rest upon your people and that there will come peace, that there will come a, 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 a victory in the spirit that we will recognize and we will see it. And we'll be able to point to a map and say, that's where we prayed. We'll be able to open up a newspaper and look and point to an article and say, there's our prayers. And I thank you and I honor you for it, Father. And I glorify you for it. And I'm one of them to leap for joy. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for praying in the Holy Ghost. And as the Lord brings us victory in this nation, it'll be the next nation and another nation and on and on and on because we're just getting started. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. You can be seated. Nation changing prayers. Janelle and Olivia, if you would come up here, we're going to pray for them. They are going for six weeks and be over there with team. And um, so we're going to pray that the Lord um, give them divine appointments, right? That they're at the right place at the right time and that all of their work, that the Lord would just cause it to bear much fruit. Of course, there's also needs that need met, right? There is safety that needs to be had, all of that. But since our prayers are some of the most powerful in the world, we can ask and we will receive. Amen? So stretch out your hands to them. Father, I just thank You that You are good and faithful in every way. And we present Janelle and, and Olivia to You. And Lord, we ask You to um, give them divine appointments. Give them everything they need. I ask for a boldness to be upon them. I ask You to give them eyes to see. Eyes to see the man or woman of peace that is ready to have a conversation with You. Lord, I ask You to reveal to them of the way they should go and where they should not go. I ask for um, divine wisdom and understanding for every day that they're there. And Lord, I, I ask You too to just bless them financially during this time. That every need is met. And everything that they're a part of flourishes and prospers financially. I thank You for this. Lord, I ask too for safety for them as they go, while they're there, and as they come back home. In Jesus' name, and amen. amen. You guys are going to go. You're going to be successful in what the Lord sent you to do. And you're going to come back home. Alright, you can be seated. <laughs>